Yes. Um, just to tag on to that, the, the work, we've had two work parties, very successful, both of them, and uh, there's more to do, but what we'll, um, I, we're not going to be able to get a full Saturday between now and the summer mission, so I'm going to, I'm working on a couple evenings, I'm coordinating with Keith Osmussen, who's the, the guy heading up all of the construction from the Federal Way side, and um, uh, he's the guy working with permits and, and all sorts of good stuff, and so we'll... Uh, Ooh, that was loud. Um, uh, we'll get that going. And, and as soon as there's information to be had, you will, uh, you will get it in the email and on the website. And I've got the wrong document open. You don't want me preaching that. Just, yeah. Got it. We're good. I got it. <laughs> All right. Um, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Ben and Northwest Church. If, you know, maybe Ben will watch this later. He's busy right now preaching at another service. But um, these chairs are awesome, are they not? Woo! I know some of you have been sitting the blue ones longer than some others. Um, but the, the blue ones we've got stacked up in what will be the youth room. And we're going to save some of those for the youth room because uh, chairs like that are good for youth. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, can't really hurt them, and, and it's, you know, it's good for toning the backside. So, um, but these are awesome, and, and we were blessed with these. Uh, Northwest Church in Federal Way is doing a remodel of their sanctuary. They're doing new chairs, and they just kind of lumped us in with that and added another 100 chairs to their uh, order, and, you know, it took six months longer than, than they wanted it to, but here they are, and they're amazing. Very comfortable. Um, if I suddenly shout in the middle of the message... It's because I saw somebody sleeping. Okay? So don't... Just, just go with it. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. We were talking about how to wire these chairs with little shockers, because that's when you want to do it, is when they're new, right? You can, nobody will know. That's just how the chair came. I don't know. <laughs> Pastors have joked about that for a long time, haven't we? And then we could call, call out the Holy Spirit and speak blasphemy. And Oh, my goodness. Good morning. Good morning. Um, we're continuing on in Mark. Um, and I just want to encourage you to keep studying and reading in Mark on your own. You kind of get the pace of where we're going. Um, but... The word is rich and deep, and there's not a chance that in this time together, we're going to be able to cover all the things that are in even the, even the short passages that we cover. I'm skipping lots in Mark. I really am. And uh, even, in, even in this passage that we're going to cover today, there are things that we're not going to be able to talk about. But if you're studying, if you're getting into it, the Holy Spirit speaks to you as well as he speaks to me. You don't, you don't need, you don't need a, a pastor to get your only source of, of word every week. You need to be in the word. You need to be digging and hearing the Holy Spirit speak to you. Um, so with that exhortation, we're moving into Mark chapter 9. You get your Bibles open. We're starting in verse 1 and going through, I think we'll go through verse 9. I was going to go through 13. We're going to stop at 9. I am sure I heard somebody say thank you right there, but uh, 
All right. We're going to, okay, here we go. I'm just going to read it. Mark 9, verse 1. And Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Elijah appeared, among, uh, appeared to them along with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer, for they had become terrified. Yeah. Uh, then a cloud formed overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. All at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. The next verse says, then they began to discuss, what does he mean by rise from the dead? We're not going to talk about that. As I said, we can't possibly cover everything. So, Lord, thank you for your word. Um, may you bring things alive to us and highlight the things that, that our hearts need to hear today. Your word is always good and always um, sharp as a double-edged sword. You, you can always discern between truth and untruth and, and bring wisdom into our hearts and and revelation into our lives. Speak to us today, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, so the play-by-play. -play. Let's set up the context of this. Uh, last week, we, had talk, we talked about uh, Jesus really giving the crowd-pleaser message, um, taking up your cross, right? If you want to be my disciple, you got to take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Um, this was not a, uh, a, hey, everybody, let's go have a good time together and, and come be my disciple, come be my follower. It'll be the best thing you've ever done. No, this was, this was a reality check. Hey, this is what it takes, but then also here's why you want to do that. And right before that, he had been talking very plainly to the disciples about um, his crucifixion, his coming death. And, and just really rattled the disciples to the point where Peter, probably speaking on behalf of all of them, pulls Jesus aside and says, you can't talk like that. Like everybody thinks you're the Messiah. If you're the Messiah, you know, this is not how you're supposed to do things. Um, so Jesus had just been talking in ways that, that really shook the disciples in their preconception of who Messiah was and what he was supposed to do. So Coming from those conversations and then with other people around, he says this, truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come in power. Now, did Jesus mean, we're, we're going to deal with verse one and then, and then move on to the rest of this because this is a fun one. Did Jesus literally mean that some of them would not die until his second coming? It could have been taken that way. I mean, they thought he was coming back soon. Even after he left, they thought, oh, he's coming back right away. 
Um, some think that, that maybe he meant just those three who in the next verse went with him up and, and saw the transfiguration. They saw Jesus as he was and as he will be when he comes in power. But I think, and doing, doing a lot of research, I'm not alone, Jesus was talking about Pentecost. And I think it's awesome that we're doing Pentecost today, but Jesus was talking about Pentecost. And there were a lot of people there in that moment that were going to be there at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and when the kingdom of God started moving in power beyond just the person of Jesus Christ, right? Because when Pentecost happened, the Holy Spirit filled the 120 in the upper room and then quickly more after that. And there was power and the church was born. We sang it in the song. So Jesus was talking to, to all these people and he said, a lot of you are gonna be here when the kingdom of God is moving in power and it'll happen before you die. Well, six days after that is when he takes the three up the mountain. Why did he take three and not the rest? Well, the way it kind of plays out in, in, uh, in Acts and in the Gospels those three really became the pillars of the church. Also, there's speculation, well, maybe he didn't want Judas there, so he had to, you know, <laughs> he had to just take a couple, right? Because you can't take 11 and leave one guy out. That's not good. So he just, <laughs> No, but he took, he took three. Jesus knew what he was doing. The Holy Spirit was always talking to him. He took the three that were going to be the, the core of the church after he left but why the, why the transfiguration? Jesus was always in prayer. Did he need to have this experience personally with Elijah and Moses? Did he need to change his form like this? Or was it more for their benefit? I would argue it was more for their benefit. Now, I'm sure it was fun to converse with Moses and Elijah, but by the way, how did they know that it was Moses and Elijah? You ever wonder that? This was before, you know, pictures on the internet. <laughs> a name tag. He had name tags. You know, and, and you know, like they, they wouldn't have known anything about, his, about their appearance because even, even in Jewish culture, you couldn't do pictures, right? There were no engravings, no, no paintings or anything like that because that was, um, you, you, shall not, you shall not have any graven images. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't do portraits or anything like that. I don't, I don't know. They just knew. They just knew it was them. Um, yeah. So the, the disciples are in a place before this moment of, of struggle. They're, they're trying to, to reconcile the things that Jesus has been saying. He is challenging the foundations of their faith such that it is at that point. Was he, was their faith in him, the, the true Messiah, or was it in the imaginary Messiah figure that their culture had set up for them by their human thinking? In Matthew's account of, of uh, the next story, which is when they come down the mountain and um, Jesus casts out the demon out of the boy. This is in uh, Caesarea Philippi, I believe. And... Um, the father says to Jesus, I, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't cast him out. They couldn't cast the demon out. Uh, and, and then 
And then the disciples asked him later, how come we couldn't? How come we couldn't? And he said, it was because of the, the littleness of your faith. I always wondered at, at why he would say that to, uh, to them because he was talking, and then he says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, right? That seems small. I don't get it. But they were in a place where they, their faith was shaken. Jesus had just really challenged them and they weren't sure what, what was going on. Was their faith small because of what he had been telling them about his death? You know, hey guys, it turns out I'm not going to be with you forever and not going to fulfill all your expectations as Messiah. Um, by the way, keep casting out demons. <laughs> keep healing the sick. And so they weren't, they weren't sure what was going on. The transfiguration of Jesus Christ was a powerful demonstration of his divine nature and a manifestation of his glory which he possessed prior to coming to earth in the human body and which he would possess thereafter when he went again to be with the Father. Transfigured means to change in form or from one form to another, literally metamorphosis. I was leaving the M out, metamorphosis. I literally have it in front of me and I can read it. This same word and this idea is used of us as we are being transformed into the image of Jesus. Slowly, it seems, but Jesus, in that moment, it was instantaneous. He took on his true form and gave those three a glimpse of their future. And his, but theirs. It's important to, to kind of grasp that much of what was happening in the Gospels, those disciples, the ones present, didn't even, didn't even grasp it, didn't even get it until after Pentecost. How many times do you read, and, and they asked this odd question about not having bread when he was talking about the, the leaven of the Pharisees, and you're like, what are you, that's not even, well, you have the, the privilege of the context. <laughs> you can read the whole thing. They were, they were struggling, just trying to catch up, figuring out, but then when the Holy Spirit came, things started to make sense. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But there was, so this transfiguration was a glimpse of the ruling Messiah and what he would be like when he returns in glory. He was giving, literally giving these three something to hold on to because he knew where they were going. He knew what was coming. Luke says that the three had fallen asleep while Jesus prayed. That's nice of Luke to say that. He wasn't there, so he could throw them under the bus. None of you are sleeping right now, right? Just checking, just checking, all right. When they awoke to see the transfigured Jesus, along with Moses and Elijah, chatting about what Jesus would be doing in Jerusalem, uh, they were all out of sorts. I mean, imagine if you wake up from an unplanned nap and things were not as you left them when you fell asleep. Um, the, I would call it, well, this isn't very kind, but, it, but I wrote it. It was kind of the sleepy, stupid response. Whoa, should we build a shelter? Should we, should we set something up? What should we do? Uh, it was out of a good heart, and so we won't hold it against Peter. But uh, didn't really seem to make a lot of sense there in that moment. It was just a simple way to serve and to honor the master and his friends. Moses and Elijah. This is a, is a fun one. Uh, we actually sang this in the song too. Uh, the law and the prophets. 
representing the law and the prophets, as Jesus was the fulfillment of both. And both were represented there in that conversation as they're, as they're going over the plan for what Jesus is about to do. Then right after Peter says, well, we should, we should build you some tabernacles, we should build you some, some uh, tents here, a cloud forms. And this cloud is not just like a mist because they're high on the mountain. I don't know, sometimes when it's, when it's really sunny from, from the parking lot in the field, we can look out this way and see Mount Rainier clear as day. But sometimes there's cover on there. Sometimes there's a little mist going on. Sometimes it blows really fun and Mount Rainier's got a hat and, and all that. We're not talking about clouds like that on a mountain. This is a very specific kind of cloud. This is the same cloud that led Israel in the wilderness. This is the the physical representation of the presence, the immediate presence of God Almighty. This is the cloud that filled the temple when Solomon dedicated it, and the priests fell on their face and couldn't, couldn't do their duties. And then the Father speaks out of this cloud. So it's a visible form of, of his presence. It says the cloud enveloped them or overshadowed them shrouded in a mist, but this was like the opposite of shadow. This is like, instead of, instead of being encompassed in a shadow, it's encompassed in, in like thick light. It's the same word used when, uh, when the angel is speaking to Mary. And, and she says, how can this be? And he, and he says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. It's the creative, living presence of God. Can you, I just, such a wild experience. I, I imagine being there with them or I imagine myself as one of the disciples just being there. I, there's no way, to, uh, no way to compute. There's no context in which this fits and makes sense. It's just like try and take it in as it happens. And then it makes sense later. But the father spoke from this cloud and, and he said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him making sure that they understood who Jesus was and that they really should listen to him and obey him. There's four truths I want to highlight in this story as this, as this rolls out. The first truth is, as we walk with Jesus as disciples, he will prepare us to face the next situation in our lives. Have you seen this at work in your life? Where the Holy Spirit sets you up for the next thing and you had no way to know it was coming. Jesus underwent the transfiguration in part to bolster and strengthen the faith of those inner three so that they could in turn carry the rest of the crew, as it were, when they needed to. In the same way that he was preparing the disciples, uh, that he was preparing the disciples for what was to come, he prepares us because he is with us also. Even though they were not fully able to grasp it um, until later, Jesus was constantly preparing them. And he's doing the same thing with us. He will give us something to hold on to as well. He was giving them something to hold on to. Later on, Peter references this moment in his books. 
And Paul even talks about things that that come from this moment because Peter, James, and John shared with him. I've seen this in my life, and I'm sure you have as well, where, where God has been at work in you and you didn't know what it was for, right? You're just taking a step at a time, just doing, doing your thing, following the Lord. Uh, when I was 16, 17, uh, we were in a, a smaller church, and I say smaller because, anyway, it was, it was a smaller church in Fife, and uh, um, the Lord put it on my heart to, to set up a youth worship team for the youth group because... It just felt wrong for me as a teenager to have the old guys coming in and doing worship for us at youth group. I just like, you know, I didn't really play any instruments that could be helpful or, or really sing uh, to speak of at that, at that time, but I just felt like God wanted me to do that. So I, I was the administrator. I was like, okay, let's pull this together and you can play drums and you can do this and, and we kind of put this together. Still had, still had some of the old guys because Lord knows we needed some help. <laughs> making that happen. So, um, but as time went on, um, the, the guy who was a youth pastor was also the worship leader. And, uh, and there was a time when he couldn't be there one Sunday night for youth group. And um, it was last minute thing. Somebody got the call um, before everybody had cell phones. So it came into the office and the other, I don't know how that worked, but uh, somehow we found out that Kevin wasn't going to be there. And so he was our worship leader. What are we going to do? The sound guy comes up to me with the wireless mic, the mic of power, the mic that, uh, that uh, any ambitious person craves, <laughs> and, uh, and says, here, you can sing. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, that was not on my agenda for that day, um, but, but I, I stepped into it. I drove the sound guy nuts because I was super quiet. Um, for like almost a year, I was quiet. But from that moment on, I I led worship almost every Sunday evening for about a year. Um, I was just doing what needed to be done. I was uh, and I was getting some really good training from Kevin. He was he was excellent. He was a great worship leader, and he he mentored me a lot in in flow and how songs work and how to use them and and how people respond to things. And I was just doing what was in front of me. I was just, I'd had no idea what was coming. I didn't know. Uh, sometime later, my, my family left that church and uh, ended up at, at Northwestern Federal Way. And immediately, my brother and I jumped into youth worship, and we were involved there, and I was, I was set up really well for that season based on the training that I had just received. God was doing things in me that I didn't even know and I couldn't understand until later. And then years later, I look back and say, wow, that was pretty awesome. Like, I, I couldn't have planned that. I didn't know what was coming. Jesus is always doing this in our life. And then it makes sense later. Peter remembers this in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18. He says, for we did not follow a cleverly devised tale when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the Father, from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard 
this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. As we walk with Jesus, his disciples, he will be preparing us for what, was, what is to come. Things you can't possibly know, he will be working in you if you will let him, if you will follow him. The second truth is listen to him. We see the voice of God the Father here coming out of the cloud. This is my son. Listen to him. Why would, they, why would he tell them to listen to him? They're, they're literally with him on the mountain following him. Why? Because it's going to be really important where you're going to listen and obey. As we follow Jesus into our unknown future, it would greatly benefit us to listen to him. His words are for us. The disciples had preconceived notions about their future and that of Jesus and how that was to unfold, but they needed to place their hopes and their expectations in Jesus, not their ideas of what was to come. God was saying, listen to him, not your ideas. Listen to him, not how you think it should go. In fact, especially when it's not going how you think it should go. Be listening to him. We must also set aside our preconceived notions and put our hope in Jesus, not our plans. We need to listen to him. Because he will do things differently than you want to. Somebody say amen. Oh my gosh. Oh. He will do things really differently than you would. And it's going to throw you off. Think about the disciples and where they're at in this moment where Jesus has just completely rocked their world. He's doing things way differently than they would have done it. Or they even thought it should be done. So today we listen to him by, we talked about it before I started preaching, we read our Bibles. We learn his words. And we let the Holy Spirit bring things to life and speak to our hearts and and get that in us. We listen to him. We study. We want to know what he's saying and why. Peter, who witnessed the transfiguration there. In fact, I, I read a couple verses from 2 Peter 1. This is the next couple verses. He said, so we have the prophetic word made more sure. He's talking about Scripture to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. I'm going to say that again. No prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit of God. This is not a man-made thing. And if you do it in a man-made way, it's not the way of the Lord. You need to listen. You need to listen to him. We might like God to show up in his glory in our backyard. It would be awesome if that cloud was, you know, on the playset over here when our kids were hanging out after church. It would be it would be amazing if we could decide what God should do and then that's that's what he did. But that's not how it works. So we listen and we do what he says and we read and we do what his word says and we let him be God. 
So we listen to him, just as the voice from the cloud says. The third truth, Jesus is bigger than our eyes can see. The disciples were no doubt going through the busyness of daily life, of ministry. I will tell you that is busy. Forgetting that it was God at work in the world. Do you think it might have been a little, it it could have happened that as they were with Jesus day in and day out, that they started to think of him as just a man? I mean, sure, he's the Messiah. He's he's anointed by God, but, but, but he's a man. He's a man. And, and I see him every day and I get familiar with this and I forget that he's actually the son of God also, right? So I get familiar with him. But he was more than just a man anointed by God and, and filled with the spirit. But it's easy to, to just start thinking naturally, especially in the busyness of whatever it is that you're doing But what happens is we start to do things in the flesh. We do things natural. We go to our own way of thinking, using our own intellect and wisdom to solve things. Does this sound like a proverb to you? Thinking naturally, relying on our own wisdom. So God steps in at this moment and gives them a huge reminder that this is more than just an anointed man doing things and and being the Messiah. This is more than a human endeavor. This is the Son of God here on earth doing this right now. You're in the presence of God. This was was kind of like a, hey, wake up. (laughs) I mean, they had been sleeping also, so maybe, yeah. Maybe they did need that. Immediately, as well as in the future. Jesus was more than simply a man. This was the supernatural thing going on. God, who was the creator of the universe and our world, is a spirit and not physical, yet he condescended. He came down to us and made himself human like us. And in this moment, he came down in multiple forms. There was was Jesus right there, shining like the sun. His face completely changed, his clothes like blinding lightning, and and the, the physical manifestation of the glory of God, the presence of God right there. This was a supernatural thing going on here, not a natural thing. Now, I know we never get uh, caught up in the natural thing anymore. I mean, they did, they did then, but you know, we, we always keep things in perspective and remember that, that God is at work and You know, it's not a human thing, right? Don't lie. We can so quickly move into that mode. There are things you know. There are things your, your abilities, you know, you can do. You can lean on your own understanding and get by. But what God is doing and what God wants to do is way bigger way bigger. Don't think of Jesus as just a man. Don't think of your faith and, and Christianity as just, just a way of life and just, just uh, a school of thought. This is bigger than that. This is God Almighty, the supernatural creator of everything, condescending to us, coming down to us and making himself available. And he's on a mission. He's doing things. 
I remember, um, gosh, just, just before I started uh, doing worship at, at this church, I went on a mission trip. I, I've always loved being with people and, and working and, and helping. And, um, and I, was, I was definitely a believer. And looking back, I would say it was easy, it was easy for me to be a believer. I grew up in a, in a home we, we were believers, that's, and we loved Jesus. And, um, but I don't know that I had really, really had, had a moment where I personally gave my life to him based on an experience. <clears throat> I was on a mission trip in Uganda. I was 16 years old. And doing the stuff, having a great time, loving life. Um, and we would, we would do crusades out in the bush and and. As a, as a white person out in the bush in East Africa, um, the, uh, they call you Muzungu, right? Uh, Muzungu, Muzungu. And as you're coming in on the truck, all the kids are running alongside, waving and talking and slapping the truck. Muzungu, Muzungu. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm, just, I'm just loving it. But, but we, would, we would pray for people after the, the message, they would do worship for like an hour and a half and then, and then show a Jesus film or, or one, of, one of our guys would preach. And, and, then, and then we pray for people. And all the kids, the, the parents wanted the, the white preachers to pray for their kids. Um, and so, you know, we can't understand each other at all. I mean, we're, we're way past the, the place where people know English and, and I certainly don't know any of their languages. But we're just... Okay, all right, we're, we're praying, we're praying, having a great time, praying, and, and later that evening, which was really late, we're settling in for the night, and one of, uh, one of the elders in that, in that church, in that village, came to me and said, uh, one of the boys that you prayed for um, was, was healed, he had been deaf, and now he wasn't deaf anymore when, when you prayed with him. I didn't even know he was deaf to begin with. So it wasn't like I, you know, it wasn't like I intentionally, you know, prayed for healing and like I was just, you know, Holy Spirit, bless him. And, you know, okay. In that moment, God opened my eyes and I was not just doing a human thing anymore, right? It wasn't just hanging out and having fun and getting to know people and, and, and interacting with and, and, being there, what, what was going on was God was working through me and in that situation and supernatural things were happening. Way bigger than where my eyes were and where my perspective was. That was, that was my moment where I decided, okay, this is for real and this is what I want to do with my life. Right? I had always believed in Jesus, but, but I had a moment where... I was, I was going to actually do this personally. I didn't know what that meant, but I mean, nobody signs up for, yeah, nobody knows what it means. The, the disciples sure didn't. Jesus is bigger than what your eyes can see. And he's outside of your, your conceptions of what he should be doing. The fourth truth, this glimpse of Jesus in the transfiguration reminds us that he is king and that the future is bright. I'm going to say that again. 
He is king, and the future is bright. Boy, do you ever get bogged down? You ever just, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. People are stupid. Like, this is never going to, like, just, just fry the place. Just send fire. Once a day. Is that when you're driving? Is that? In the same way that Jesus was transfigured in that moment, one day he will come again, looking like that. In fact, John gives us a glimpse in the book of Revelation of what Jesus will look like when he comes back. And it's kind of close to what he saw there on the mountain. He will be the victorious Messiah, the ruling Messiah, coming to rule the earth and make his enemies his footstool. But not yet. Right now, this world is fallen. We face disease. We face death. We live in the throes of sin and feel the effects of it daily. We sin and are sinned against. And that makes the world a rough place. There is pain and suffering and sorrow. But also, now, in this season, we can choose and we call other people to choose to give him our allegiance willingly. This is the season we're in. Right now, we get the option. We can choose him. When he comes back looking like that, there's no options. Everybody will bow their knee. There will not be an option. But right now, we're in the season where he's calling to him all who will come to be their savior. One day, This Jesus who was revealed for a moment to Peter and James and John will be revealed to the whole world. And all the pretending will stop. All the the perspectives will be fixed. Reality will be revealed. His true glory will be revealed. And everything of lesser worth, which is everything, (laughs) will fade away before his glory and his splendor. And he will rule in righteousness and truth. He is the king, and the future is bright. The future is bright. When Jesus was transfigured before these three, three men, he gave them something incredible to hold on to as they went into this next season. Not long from here, we're, we're kind of wrapping up Jesus' ministry Here at this point, pretty soon he's going to be betrayed and crucified. They're going to go through that whole season and he's going to be resurrected and they're not going to get it. And then, and then he's going to give them some last instructions and, and go back to the father and, and they're going to need something to hold on to in these, in these moments. After the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and, and the church was born there, There was shortly after that intense persecution. There was people that did not want this thing to happen. And they were willing to go to great lengths to make sure it didn't. The disciples faced that kind of opposition. They needed something to hold on to. And these three men saw the future. They saw with their own eyes Jesus as he he was and as he will be. 
And, and then when they realized what this was, what this was and, and what had happened, by the time they realized it, he was up at the right hand of the Father looking like that already. The Holy Spirit made things click for them. Jesus gave his disciples something to hold on to as they went into the next season, the beginning of the age of the church. You know, we're still in the age of the church today. We're still in that season. Today's Pentecost. We celebrate Pentecost today. There's a a lot of significance to what Pentecost is in the Jewish culture, and we're not going to get into that. Um, Very good things. uh, Really good stuff. We just don't have time to cover everything. But Jesus had made many references to the Holy Spirit in his ministry. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will minister to you. When the Comforter arrives, when the Helper, he was talking, talking future, when the Holy Spirit comes. He said he would teach them all things and that he was the promise of the Father. Well, at Pentecost... The 120 gathered in the upper room, waiting because Jesus said to, thank goodness they listened. Thank goodness they listened. They were waiting to be clothed with power from on high, and the Holy Spirit came. And this was, this was Peter quoted the prophet Joel. He said, this is the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh. And this promise is for you and for your children, and for any who are afar off that will come, any who will come, this promise is for them. Ushered in a new age. Up to that point, the Holy Spirit would come on a person for specific tasks. But now, the Holy Spirit is with us all the time and in us when we invite him. Before Pentecost, the disciples were a timid bunch of people who were pretty sure they had followed the Messiah. (laughs) But he wasn't there anymore. (laughs) But after Pentecost, they behaved differently, didn't they? They were bold. They were powerful. They were full of wisdom and courage that they did not previously possess. A big part of that was that the Holy Spirit made sense of everything that Jesus said in that time. All the things that Jesus had been teaching them suddenly came alive. And that muddled human thinking was cut through in that moment. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us, you know. Not only did the Holy Spirit give them the strength and courage they needed, but now because all the things that Jesus said made sense, they had something to say. I I experienced this almost weekly as I'm studying, as I'm getting a sermon ready, getting a message ready, and I'm studying, I'm like, okay, that's, that's good stuff. You know, I enjoy reading that. But then something clicks, and the Holy Spirit reveals something, and now I have something to say. I was explaining this process to somebody. I do all the research. I'm, I'm figuring things out, and this means this, and this means that, and okay, okay. But then, usually, usually late on Saturday night, <laughs> something clicks, and it all falls into place. Oh, that's what it means. That's what he's saying. And that's how the Holy Spirit works in your, in your heart, in your mind. He makes sense of all the things that, that Jesus said. He, he cuts through your human thinking and brings you supernatural wisdom. You have something to say when the Holy Spirit is in you. The church was born on Pentecost. Pentecost. 
when the Holy Spirit filled those 120 believers, and then moments later, 3,000 more. It ushered in the age of the church. Jesus called it the kingdom of God coming with power. This is what he was talking about at the beginning of chapter 9. The Holy Spirit at work through his disciples to rescue the lost and make more disciples. And now that's the age we're in. The Holy Spirit is still filling people all over the earth. We had a moment a couple weeks ago where Cassandra Hamilton was ministering the baptism of the Holy Spirit here. This is something we believe and we walk in and we want to continue to access on a regular basis. He is still filling people with strength and courage and wisdom and everything they need to be effective ministers of the gospel. So this transfiguration, there's more. There's more that could be talked about, I know. And I know some of you have got thoughts on this and I would, I'd love to sit down and chat. Not today, we got a meeting after this. But anyways, uh, <laughs> Jesus will always be preparing you for what's next because he knows and you don't. You need to listen to him. <laughs> you need to get in the word. You need to know what he's saying. You need to listen. You need to let the Holy Spirit bring that to life for you. You need to remember that Jesus is bigger than your natural thinking. He's bigger than what your eyes can see. And you need to remember that he is the king and the future is bright. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the teachings of Jesus that have been given to us in the word. Your word is alive and active and always changes us when we engage it. Today, I pray for us as a family of believers that we would be filled afresh today, empowered to understand the words of Jesus and then to communicate them to others, to be full of peace in troubled times, to have wisdom and discernment beyond our human capacity our human reasoning, to be incredibly effective ministers of the gospel. Oh God, fill us again. Or for some of us, maybe fill us for the first time. Fill us. Holy Spirit, fall on us as you did on that first Pentecost. Clothe us with power from on high. Holy Spirit, fill us again today. We yield to you. Amen. Amen. I encourage you as you are studying this week, as you are spending time in the word, pray something like that. Holy Spirit, we yield to you. Holy Spirit, I want, I want you to fill me again. As you go this week, may you continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit and his power. May your heart sense his nearness at all times. And may your mind be renewed by the word as he brings it to life for you. May you ever be focused on the mission of Jesus to see the lost saved and disciples made. <laughs>